welcome to This Week in Video Games episode 100. My name is Tom Kershaw and this is a podcast all about the world of video games. Well this week I've been playing Weird West, plus I've also been getting into Norco, a new point and click adventure game. Also, given it's the 100th episode special, I'm going to be having a look back at some of the best games from the last 100 episodes and count down some of my favourites. Well, it's a busy show as always, so let's get to it. Welcome to the show everyone, I hope you're well and you're having a good week. Yeah, I'm good this week and we've made it to 100 episodes and that is quite an incredible thing, you know. This all started back in February 2019 and it's a huge milestone to reach. And for everyone who's listening out there, thank you so much for listening and for sticking with me. You know, this is the first 100, I definitely plan to do this for a long time coming. Now before we get into it, it'd be great if you could leave an honest review over on Apple Podcasts. So it really helps to get some more eyes on the podcast. So I do have a link in the podcast description. So if you do like the show and you want to leave a review, I'd really, really appreciate it. Plus, I'll also read out their review on future episodes of the podcast. Also, if you want to support the show further, check out This Week in Video Games on Patreon. And you can check out all those Patreon benefits. Okay, without further delay, let's get into what I've been playing this week. Well, this week I've been getting into narrative adventure games with Weird West and also Norco. So both are relatively new games and also both available on the Xbox Game Pass. So Weird West is an isometric game similar to other arcane games where you've got like a big sandbox to play in. And I'll bring you my thoughts of that first up in the show. Then I'm going to be checking out Norco, which is the talk of the town at the moment. That is a new point and click adventure game making headlines in 2022. And then later on in the show I'm going to be going back to an older adventure game with Primordia. I'll be counting down some of my favourite games of the first 100 episodes of the podcast. Also, I'm going to be jumping into the Returnal DLC. Well, without further delay, let's check out Weird West. Weird West is an action RPG set in the Old West, although the game has some elements of immersive sim. You know, the whole game is designed as a sandbox for the player, you know, take an action, there's going to be a consequence. Actions, they are permanent, they can't be undone. And that makes the game all the more intriguing. And Weird West is a good description of the game, as well as the genre. It certainly is weird, but it's one you should definitely give a try. You know, Weird West has a lot of stealth in it, plenty of action, and basically it's a twin-stick shooter. It's mainly a sandpit to play in, although the narrative in the game is held together by five overarching stories. So you've got an underlying strangeness to the story, given we're being forced into the bodies of different people by a gang of evil characters. We've definitely done this before in games, you know, take on a character or the consciousness of someone in the world, but here in Weird West it tries to add some meat to the bones in terms of why. Well, to add to the confusion and fun at times, there's also a small matter of our character being an amnesiac, so you've got to get up to speed to who you are and what you're doing fast. Well, supporting the gameplay is an undercurrent of darkness. This is done through exceptional character and environmental building and storytelling. So Weird West is played from an isometric point of view, whereas in previous games like this, we may have played in first person or third person, uh, but I think the isometric does work really, really well. Now, adding to the darkness and the tension throughout, enemies like zombies, werewolves, and other nighttime nasties are on the lookout for your blood. 
Well, there's five characters overall, and you're going to inhabit them throughout the story in Weird West. So each character you hop into has its own backstory, and these different character arts could be seen as chapters or levels in the game. Now, each character's story can take a few hours, or much more depending on how much you want to explore, and get into the character's life and the backstory. Now, the first we encounter is Jane. She's a bounty hunter who's trying to track down her kidnapped husband. Then we've got a strange pig-like person who's trying to find out why he is the way he is and what his past entailed. There's a story about a tribal leader fighting a green demon and a werewolf who thinks he's destined to lead his people. Now, the stories are really unique, interesting and grotesque at times. But they definitely keep you on your toes. It all starts out fairly simple with Jane, although you're going to be chasing werewolves in absolutely no time at all. Now, the stories aren't very interconnected, but once you've finished up the main quest, you're free to explore and chat with whomever you like. We've got four loose classes in the game. For example, you've got the Bounty Hunter's Landmines, the Pigman's Poison, and the Werewolf's Invisibility. So the class abilities relate to the characters. There's also more generic skills too, like Electric Bullets, Silencers, and Arrows. You've got to level these up, but these features persist, which is a nice touch. The progression across the characters is very useful as you get further into the game, meaning you're going to start later levels in a much more powerful state than when you were starting fresh. So when you move on to another story, you can go back and recruit these characters into your party as you have two companions. And given there is a permadeath feature, you know, do be careful with these folks as if they die, they're gone from your playthrough. Weird West may sound like it's all about story and narrative, but it's also about twin stick shooting too. So given this is the gameplay style. Now much like Enter the Gungeon, the game can get very busy very quickly. You've got pistols, shotguns and rifles all going off, trying to avoid your opponent's bullets as well as aim your own. Luckily you've got a decent slow motion button which makes things a little bit more manageable and slow motion can be activated automatically when you go into a dive. Well the slow motion feature is good fun, especially when combined with the environmental elements. You know, Weird West is all action but there's an immersive sim in there too, which makes sense given the history of the team who worked on the game. So Wolfeye was founded by former Arcane team members who put out great games like Prey and Dishonored, plus one of 2021's best games, Deathloop. And Arcane always had great physics elements to their games, and the Wolfeye team have brought that to the experience in Weird West, albeit from an isometric angle rather than the first person. Now, Weird West offers you the chance to try things, more often than not that they work, for example, you can light arrows and fire them into things, flammable things, and then set things on fire. You can also use the water to power out fire or oil to ramp up the fire. So water and electricity also tend to go well together. And if you're looking to cause some destruction, so Weird West allows you to experiment, and for the most part, these experiments do pay off. So the game feels like a big playground, and to help move things along, there's plenty of people you can speak to, and a lot of them need your help. For example, early on in the game, the baddie has a penchant for eating people and likes to hold people in cages like animals, so doing the decent and ridding the world of these unsavoury characters seems like a good idea. The decision you make and your actions are remembered throughout the game, as later a quest will be marked, you helped free her husband from capture, and it's a nice way to tie stories and characters together to make the world feel nice and connected. Well, there's a lot to like about the game, however, there are a few drawbacks as well. The game can feel a little bit buggy, with enemies walking in strange ways, definitely unintended ways, and party members sometimes didn't respond or just other random stuff happening. You know, these kind of bugs can be patched out through some careful post-launch bug fixing, so hopefully these will all be cleaned up as the days and the weeks go by. And they certainly weren't game-breaking by any means, rather they were just little annoyances, 
Also, this game is full of stealth. I'm not really a massive stealth fan, to be honest, but that is just down to personal taste. You know, along your journey, you'll be picking up plenty of loot. You can route through pockets of downed enemies, pick up things off shelves, take cash from tills, and plenty more. Weird West definitely wants you to explore, and it's going to reward your time for doing so. Therefore, I'd recommend combing over every nook and cranny. You know, the slight disappointment was the loot wasn't that exciting. There's different rarities of weapons, however, unlike games like Borderlands or Destiny where the guns get more extravagant as the rarity goes up, here it's simply damage numbers rather than cosmetics or features. Now, I can't really complain too much because this isn't a looter shooter and perhaps exposure to these other games mean I'm simply spoiled, but then again, the loot could have definitely been better. You know, Weird West is a funny little game. There's elements here I really like and there's things here that really turn me off. Now, the five stories are great, the cast of characters are rich, and they're really interesting and it'll make you want to come back. There's a sense of replayability too, meaning you'll most likely come back for another playthrough. You know, Weird West is much like its name, it's strange, but it's an entertaining one. It's also on Xbox Game Pass, so if you've got that service, definitely give it a go. Well, the developer was Wolfeye Studios, published by Devolver Digital. It's out on PlayStation 4, Xbox One, PC, and I reviewed it on PC via Xbox Game Pass, and it originally released on the 31st of March 2022. Well, that is it for my review of Weird West. Definitely a strange little game, but it's quite unique, and I would recommend giving it a go, especially if you like other games from Arcane. Well, that is it for now for Weird West, but next up, let's have a look at another narrative adventure game. This time, it's a point-and-click adventure game, and this one is Norco. Well, Norco is a point-and-click adventure game with beautiful pixel art, and incredible writing, so it's getting the headlines for all the right reasons at the moment due to its commentary on the environment and capitalism. If you don't mind reading, then this is a game you should definitely check out. You may remember point-and-click adventure games from the 90s, Great Slight Day of the Tentacles, Secret of Monkey Island, Grim Fandango, and many, many more. You know, great point-and-click adventure games never really went away. There's been some excellent releases recently, including Strangeland in 2021, Unavowed in 2018, and Lamplight City also in 2018. Yeah, it does feel like 2022 is having somewhat of a renaissance when it comes to these games, getting some headlines, and Norco is definitely one of the main drivers of that trend. Well, Norco is a southern gothic narrative adventure that immerses the player in the sinking suburbs and the Verdun industrial swamps of a distorted South Louisiana. Your brother Blake has gone missing in the aftermath of your mother's death, in the hopes of finding him, you must follow a fugitive security cyborg through the refineries, strip malls and drain his ditches of suburban New Orleans. So Norco is from developer Geography of Robots, and one of the main writers, Yutz, originally comes from the real-life Norco, which is most likely why the game feels so authentic. In the game, the story follows Kay, and she comes home to find her devastated brother mourning the death of her mother. Now, the game is set in the near future, a twisted post-apocalyptic America, Gangs with guns patrol the streets, cities are run down and capitalism has run its course. And the game switches perspectives from Kay and her mother Catherine, although this is set in the past before she died. So Norco manages to examine and poke fun at modern day problems like the gig economy, climate issues and also rampant capitalism. Well, point and click adventure games tend to live and die through their puzzles and often how obtuse they are. Over the years, the mechanics have been streamlined and here in Norco, the puzzles definitely aren't too tricky. Thankfully, you won't get stopped in your tracks, so you're free to enjoy the story. 
know, the team at Geography of Robots have managed to bring to life a cast of characters in this modern commentary on the world that we live in. You know, the drug dealer, the Airbnb guest, all beautifully brought to life and larger than life. One of the main features of the game is a mind map system. It's a nice system to keep the story moving and it looks at the visualisation of case choices and also memories. It's a decent visualisation of the game's major story beats, so if you're lost then the mind map is a good place to start to get you back into the flow. So it's a nice innovation in the point and click genre as the player delve deep into the mind, not only of K but of yourself. You know, other point and clicks have you walking around, interacting with the environment and puzzles to get your bearings, so this can be a nice change of pace. Now the wonderful thing that Norco does is make you look at your own surroundings, given the main writer and designer of Norco is from the town itself, so you really get a sense that it's real, and the issues that are brought up in the game, like gentrification, gig economy, classes, all that kind of stuff, the game makes you examine not only Kay's relationship with Norco and Louisiana, but your relationship with where you live. Norco probably won't be for everybody, this is a very talky game rather than a dewy game, and there's definitely lots of reading. You've got the character building and development, but for me it's a really good demonstration of some of the best writing in video games in 2022, and as a fan of point-and-click adventure games, I'm really, really pleased to see a game like this getting the headlines and the column inches in 2022. Well, the game was developed by Geography of Robots. It was published by Raw Fury. It's out on PC and Xbox, and I reviewed it on Xbox Game Pass on PC. And it was originally released on the 24th of March, 2022. Well, that is it for my review of Norco. But next up, let's check out the all-platform charts. Well, number 10 this week, at one place from last week's number 11, it's Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. And number 9, it's Horizon Forbidden West, down two places from last week's number 7. And number 8, we've got WWE 2K22, that's down five places from last week's number 3. And number 7, it's New Super Mario Bros. U Deluxe, that's up 10 places from last week's number 17. And number 6 this week, it's FIFA 22, up six places from last week's number 12. And number 5, it's Pokemon Legends Arceus, down one place from last week's number four. And number four this week, it's Gran Turismo 7, down three places from last week's number one. And then at number three, it's Elden Ring, down one place from last week's number two. And number two this week, it's a new entry with Tiny Tina's Wonderlands. And then at number one, it's Kirby and the Forgotten Land. So Kirby's still doing really, really well in the charts. Well, that is it for the all-platform chart. But next up, I want to take a look back at 10 of the best games from the first 100 episodes so I've been doing this since 2019, and hopefully over that time you've seen this podcast grow into something different and into something a little bit better. But next up, let's check out the 10 best games from the first 100 episodes on This Week in Video Games. Well, This Week in Video Games is 100 episodes old now, and it seems quite incredible when I say that out loud. You know, I remember listening to video game podcasts a lot, and wanting to start something on my own. Now, I'm really, really pleased with the progress that we've all made together. Now, over time, I've got better as a podcaster, plus I've had some great interactions with the community on YouTube, on Twitter, and to mark the 100-episode milestone, I thought I'd have a look back at some of the best games from the first 100 episodes. So this week in video games started in February 2019, so let's run down the top 10 games from then until now. Well, first up, it's one of my favourite games on Nintendo Switch, it's Luigi's Mansion 3. This one is from 2019. So Luigi took the centre stage in the third game in the series 
It's really, really fun from start to finish. So the worlds within the hotel expand and the puzzles are just about challenging enough to keep you hooked. The graphics and the audio are lovely and really, really complement the game well. I didn't play a Luigi's Mansion game before this and I'll be queuing up for the next one. This is probably one of the most underrated games on Nintendo Switch and doesn't really get talked about much these days, but it's an absolute cracker. Well, next up we've got The Outer Wilds, that is another one from 2019, and what an incredible game that was. You, know, you wake up and put on your spacesuit and explore space, and approximately 22 minutes later, the sun explodes. And it's your job to figure out why in this beautiful adventure and exploration game. This game was a massive surprise to me back in 2019, came out of nowhere, and had some really, really touching moments, albeit some awkward flying. Well, next up we've got Ori and the Will of the Wisps. This one is from 2020. So Ori and the Will of the Wisps, it's an absolutely beautiful game. Fluid movement, big set pieces, furious action, and really quite heartfelt quiet moments that amaze and delight you. This is the follow-up to Ori and the Blind Forest from Moon Studios. It's got really big boots to fill after their superb first game, and the boots have definitely been filled. You know, the colours in the world of Ori and the Will of the Wisps, they're vibrant and pop out on the screen regularly throughout the game. And the game really levels up from the first in almost every way related to the gameplay, the combat, the puzzles, and the vibrant world you inhabit. There are times throughout the game when your jaw is just going to drop at what you're seeing in this game. You know, the world around you is alive, and through the leaves on the trees and the animals you interact with and days from environment, it's all out to get you. Well, next up we've got Inscription, and this one is from 2021. So Inscription is full of surprises, and things just keep getting weirder as you play. So at the heart of the game is a card game with animals on it, and each animal has points, defense, and other attributes, so it's your job to inflict enough damage on your opponents before they do the same to you. You know, lose more than twice, and you're going to get strangled. The card game itself is fairly simple, but also very tactical. You've got a couple of cards in your hand when you start, and all you have to do is place them down at a cost of blood or bones. You know, to place down better cards, you likely have to sacrifice weaker cards, but this cost brings greater attacking benefits, and ultimately you want to inflict enough damage on your opponent. You know, for each attack damaging point, a small weight will be placed on the scales, and it's your job to tip the scales entirely in your favour and take down your opponent. Inscription is a surprising game. It's got twists and turns, not only in the plot, but also in the gameplay and the mechanics. Well, next up we've got Hades, and this one is one of the games of the year from 2020. So Hades is a roguelike brawler, pitting you literally against runs through hell. As you make your way through a series of levels, you earn power-ups that aid your run each time. So ancient gods, they're going to pop up out of the blue, all seem to admire you and sympathise with you having to spend your time down there in Hades while they're living it up above. You know, the objective of the game is to get through your run in one piece, but you're going to have to have your wits and skill about you because this isn't easy. One false move and you're going to be toast. Yeah, roguelikes are often about mastery, and as you make your way through runs, you know, you're going to get better with practice and repetition. The game reminds me a lot of Dead Cells, not a lot in the way that the game looks, but in the way that the game feels. So it just feels so damn good to hit, smash and dodge in this game. It makes you want to go again, just do one more run, even if it's 11.45pm. You know, super giant games have honed and crafted the game that just feels so good to play and layered on narrative elements that keep you coming back time and time again. Well, next up we've got Returnal. This one is from 2021. So there's a decent mix of genres in Returnal. In one minute you're exploring and platforming, next minute you're in a bullet hell style battle with an enemy of tentacles thrashing around, threatening instant death. In Returnal is an endurance test of a video game. 
In the early hours, you're in discovery mode, learning about the planet, the monsters, the attack patterns, and staring at wonder at most things in the game. As time goes on, the game becomes more and more punishing, and it's going to take a particular type of player to want to jump back in time and time again. You know, if you like this style of game, or if any of the above sounds like it's for you, I'd fully recommend Returnal. You know, it's a truly next-generation game that shows off the wide array that the PS5 can do. You know, I really like that Sony is investing in this type of game. So it's tough, it's different, and it'll make you laugh with delight and cry with loss. You know, I don't know if I'm the type of player to want to jump back in time and time again, but I'm really impressed with what Housemark has produced. And if you've got access to a PlayStation 5, I definitely recommend checking it out. Well, next up, we got Lost Ark, and this one is from 2022. And Lost Ark was released in the West this past February after a successful closed beta back in 2021. And after a few successful years in Korea, Russia, and Japan, you know, this one is a massively multiplayer online action RPG. From a gameplay perspective, the action takes place from an isometric view. You could draw comparisons to Diablo or Path of Exile in terms of what the game looks like. So you've got loads of classes, subclasses, NPCs to talk to combat skills to learn and upgrade plus trade skills to learn, and resources to gather. The sheer depth of Lost Ark is staggering, it's huge, and it's bound to keep you busy for months. Well, in terms of the story, environment, and classes, it's very fantasy-heavy. So we've got warriors with swords, assassins with huge knives, dark powers plus sorcerers that can cast spells and use magic to their benefit. So I've only recently finished the campaign, I'm currently working my way through to the end game. However, the story is focused on the classic battle between light and dark, You've got demons and humans, little creatures in forests, and plenty of other races too. The environments are really varied, including the classic forests, deserts and mountains, and then you've also got futuristic ones, all to do with machines as well. Now, I've got so much more to discover in Lost Ark, and I've only recently started the endgame. However, you know, you've got chaos dungeons, guardian raids, abyssal dungeons, and plenty more too. Now, I think this one is going to keep me busy for months and months to come, but I definitely recommend checking out Lost Ark. Well, next up, we've got Metroid Dread, another one from 2021. This is a direct sequel to Metroid Fusion and the fifth Metroid game as part of the 2D series. This is Nintendo at their very, very best, adding the AAA gloss to a tried and tested Metroidvania formula, which all adds up to a very, very enjoyable game. It's a 2D game, but you've got 3D cutscenes, and Samus just looks and acts so damn cool in the game, it's hard not to be impressed at every turn. The detail of the environment, Samus's animations, the movement speed and variety of weapons, abilities and enemies to battle, plus the hard-as-nail boss battles, which all feels very un-Nintendo at times. Now, overall, Metroid Dread has delivered on the promise of what a 2D Metroid could be. This is by far the best outing for Samus in 20 years, and in my book, comes close to what Nintendo has achieved with Super Metroid. Now, I thoroughly enjoyed my playthrough, but for it to be an all-time classic, it definitely requires another couple of playthroughs through the game. Yeah, for now, though, this is a hugely satisfying gaming experience, with Nintendo taking inspiration from the Metroidvania market, then going above and beyond with their own franchise. My expectations have been met and then exceeded, and if you've got a Nintendo Switch, you should definitely be playing this game. Well, it's the penultimate game now, so this one is Elden Ring, of course, from 2022. So Elden Ring has to be on this list. This feels like a once-in-a-generation kind of game, and a game that manages to build on what Breath of the Wild did, rather than copy it. In Elden Ring, you start out in the lands between in a cave. You pick your class, ranging from vagabond, a warrior, a mage, a samurai, many, many more, and run through a short tutorial, and then step out into the beautiful, yet dangerous, vast open world. This is a world full of discovery, 
Unlike other open world games, you aren't explicitly directed anywhere, and the lands between are yours to discover yourself. The scale and the scope of this game amazes me every time I open up the game for a session. You know, given the lack of direction you're given, it's up to you to make your own quest log and define your own experience. For some players, this meant keeping notes in a pad, or you can keep digital notes, which I would recommend, given you can search for keywords, plus also the naming convention in Elden Ring means a few similar sounding names. So there's a good chance you'll speak to one character, then forget about them as you move to the next location. There's no in-game quest log to keep track of all these things. From a discovery point of view, this can be a blessing and also a curse. On one hand, it makes the discovery in the game thrilling, as there's surprises around every corner, while on the other hand, if you're someone who gets overwhelmed by choice, this system may not gel with you. But overall, Elden Ring is absolutely fantastic, and I would say it's definitely going to win Game of the Year in 2022. Well, finally, we've got my favourite game from the first 100 episodes, and of course, it's Destiny 2, and its current incarnation is The Witch Queen, and that came out in 2022. So Destiny 2 is my number one game from the first 100 episodes of This Week in Video Games. Since starting the podcast back in February 2019, you know, we've had three major expansions through Shadowkeep, Beyond Light, and most recently The Witch Queen, and the game has evolved in a massive way. You know, Bungie have split from Activision, going free-to-play, introducing the seasonal model, becoming experts at delivering live-service narrative experiences, with huge highs on this front in 2021. You know, PvP has taken somewhat of a backseat more recently, and Gambit, well, that is just simply broken. But I think the PvE version of the game with the raids, Grandmaster Nightfalls, Legend Lost Sectors and all that loot, plus the subclass reworks with Stasis and Void 3.0 currently in the game, soon to be followed by Ark and Solar, the game is in a really, really great place, and we're definitely set up for a great future with Lightfall and the next major expansion coming in 2023. Well, that is it for my top 10 games of the first 100 episodes. I really hope you enjoyed that rundown and let me know in the comments on Twitter or on Patreon your top games of the first 100 episodes. I'd love it if you would get in contact with your favourite moments. Well, that is it for the top games from the first 100 episodes. But next up, let's have a look at Returnal Ascension. Returnal was one of 2021's best games, and Sony made the surprise announcement of Returnal DLC earlier in March. Well, today I'm going to be checking out Returnal Ascension, including all the reasons to jump back into the chilling alien adventure with Selene. Returnal ended up towards my top of the game of the year list in 2021, with Housemart having a great year with their first big 3D shooter, becoming a huge success, and then later in the year Sony acquired them to bring them into the PlayStation Studios family. You know, Returnal remains one of the hardest games on the PS5, and if you've made your way through the game and the reason to come back time and time again may be limited unless you're trying to speedrun or challenge yourself or perhaps find all the lore secrets. While well, Returnal Ascension attempts to provide reasons for fans to come back to the game, you know, in an update 3.0 we've got a couple of new game modes, plus new lore to find which is welcome after ending the main story campaign. So the first component of the update is the campaign's two-player co-op mode, so Housemark have done a great job, considering this was a tailored single-player experience before. The team have done a great job in terms of the technicalities and the UI for joining up with a friend, so it's easy to kick off and play with each other, and it's good fun playing through with a friend. Previous areas which may have given you trouble now are made a little easier with a friend, given they've got the ability to revive you. Now, warning though, the game's still definitely not a walk in the park, and you're going to need your wits about you more than ever. You know, one drawback to the co-op mode that loot isn't shared 
so you can have to politely agree amongst yourselves who picks up the loot, hopefully without arguing too much. So Housemark took to the Sony blog to talk more about the co-op mode in Return of Ascension. You know, Trent Polak, lead game designer, spoke to the PlayStation blog and here's what they had to say. Yeah, when we talked about adding online co-op to Returnal at Housemark, the biggest question was, how can we support co-op play in an experience that's intentionally surreal, isolating and finely balanced to challenge a single player's ability to survive? Yeah, it starts out just by setting the mood. You know, how do we get another player into Returnal? Well, through Chronosis, of course. You know, players with the PlayStation Plus subscription interact with Chronosis, and then suddenly an Astra Scout enters their cycle staring down and analysing Selene as she emerges. It all feels very surreal and comfortable, and it makes it absolutely perfect for Returnal. Beyond that, we really built the multiplayer experience around the idea that players can get help to progress through the game. A hosting player invites another player to join their session to help them overcome their current challenge, and the host keeps his progress, whereas the joining player increases their scout rank, weapon traits, and databank. At first, we had Chronosis in multiple places, you know, each biomes, but we ultimately realised it was unintentionally resulting in players just engaging in co-op before major boss battles. Now, Chronosis are at the beginning of each biome, so players are encouraged to explore and see how the game plays out and evolves with a partner, and how divvying up resource scarcity is immediately a new dynamic. Of course, we wanted to preserve the challenge, the drama, the intensity that is Returnal, and some of our new co-op mechanics went through a lot of iteration to ensure those crucial elements of the game were maintained. So our most brutal example was our initial approach to handling a downed player. So long as a player is standing, a downed player can be revived and brought back into the fray. Reviving a downed player is initially required for a living player to sacrifice some of their health to revive their teammate. Turns out this was really, really mean. You know, five minutes into a cycle, both players would be down to a bare minimum of health and struck in a vicious cycle of one-hit kills. You know, while playtesting day one, we realised that really... Reviving a down player already had required a really valuable resource, and that was time. So reviving your teammate mid-combat, especially against an elite or a boss, where every millisecond mattered, is all it really takes to maintain difficulty while ensuring both players can stay active in the game at once. Another element of the game that we changed for the co-op experience is the house and the ship sections, which are experienced from Selene's first-person perspective. And we ended up removing these sections while playing the multiplayer, so you could keep the speed and intensity of the multiplayer sessions high throughout the experience. So another part of the update is called the Tower of Cepheus, and this is an endless mode where you get to experience new rooms and new weapons, and there's also a new first-person section too. So this new tower is accessible from the start of a new run, and you can take Selene through this gauntlet taking on ever more powerful enemies. It reminds me of the mode in Breath of the Wild DLC called the Trial of the Sword. There's also a new boss to face called Algos, and the boss fight gets pretty intense as you keep fighting them. So if you haven't played Returnal before, now is a great time to jump in, as the game is likely cheaper now than it was a year ago. If you haven't played Returnal since putting it down after completing it, or perhaps you put it down due to frustration, I'd recommend going back and checking out the update, so it's free after all and the perfect time to take another look at Returnal. Well the game was developed by Housemarque, it was published by Sony Interactive Entertainment, it's out on the PS5, and the DLC was released on the 22nd of March, 2022. Well, earlier on in the podcast, I had a look at Norco, but I'm going to go back in time now and have a look at another point-and-click adventure game, but this one is Primordia. Well, Primordia has come to Nintendo Switch, and if you're a fan of classic point-and-click adventures, 
This one is worth checking out from the expert team at Wormwood Studios and Wedge Eye Games. So humans are long gone and robots now rule the roost. So we've got Horatio Nullbilt, our main character and focus, spends his time reading books from the days of men and arguing and joking with another robot named Crispin. Horatio also likes to scour the desert looking for scrap metal to help rebuild and maintain his old ship, the Eunuch. However, their once peaceful existence is about to be disrupted forever when a new droid scrapper steals the Eunuch's energy core, leading Horatio and Crispin off on an adventure of their own. While Primordia is a decent point-and-click adventure game, now released on Nintendo Switch following in the footsteps of Unavowed, also from Wedge Eye Games. Now, we appear to be in the midst of a mini-revival of the genre, with other narrative adventure games making waves in 2022, like Norco and Chinatown Detective Agency. Primordia, originally released in 2012, takes a lot from the mid-90s adventure games like the LucasArts classics like Day of the Tentacle and also Full Throttle 2. So you've got your inventory, where you can collect items and combine them, plus you've got a decent map that allows you to fast travel, that is a nice quality of life feature over similar games that came before Primordia. Controls feel like they've been given the quality of life upgrade treatment too, when compared to the old classics, and they also work well on the Nintendo Switch. Primordia's world is somewhat drab and grey and dark, although this is made much more palatable on the small screen, especially if you've got an OLED Switch. On the big screen PC, the world feels more dense and it's difficult to navigate, although in handheld mode on Nintendo Switch, somehow the game feels more accessible and inviting. While the story and the writing in the game are excellent and engaging, the age of the game starts to show through. Whereas more modern point-and-click adventures have streamlined features, Primordia shows its age with classic-style fetch quests and a combination of items. And that means trying various combinations of items together, whereas some match with others one way but not the other, and that can lead to a little bit of confusion. For example, you can combine item B with item A, but not item A with item B. There's also the familiar trap of clicking on everything on the screen and painstakingly going through each item and combination with action points on the screen too. While the puzzles in the game range from good to not great to be honest, Horatio and Crispin work together well to solve the puzzles and the mysteries of Primordia, although the game can feel a little bit inconsistent at times. Crispin is sometimes able to help you with solutions to the puzzles, and sometimes he can't, but there's no real reason given. So finding the clues to crack the password to a locked door is fun at first, but unfortunately then it gets a little bit stale. Now Primordia is a decent game, but it's one of Wormwood Studios' earlier games, and I've definitely seen them do better since. So I shouldn't really compare, it's not really fair to compare something from the past, but unfortunately I can't really dismiss the great gameplay mechanics I've come across in their later titles, so it definitely is easy to say this with hindsight of course, and it's only natural for earlier games to be less engaging. Well the absolute star of the show is the writing and the narrative, so Horatio and Crispin do an excellent job of telling you about the world, and even later in the game, they get into philosophical chats that really make you think. So from a gameplay perspective, this is a classic point-and-click game rooted in the past, and I think it's a good thing that Nintendo Switch fans get to experience these games, which were previously only made available on PC. However, I do think there are better point-and-click adventure games out there. If you're interested in science fiction, you know, in a world devoid of humans, with robots wistfully wondering what it was like back then, I would probably give Primordia a go. Well, the game was developed by Wormwood Studios and published by Wedge Eye Games. It's available on PC, Nintendo Switch, and this one was reviewed on Nintendo Switch, and it was released on the 2nd of March 2022, and thank you to the publisher for providing a review copy of the game. Well, that is it for my review of Primordia. If you like point-and-click adventure games, definitely try it out on Nintendo Switch. But next up, let's look at what we've got coming out in the next few weeks. 
Well, first of all, on April the 26th, we've got Zombie Army 4 Dead War. That's coming to Nintendo Switch. And then on the 27th, we've got a couple of games. We've got the Stanley Parable Ultra Deluxe. It's coming out on PS5, Xbox Series S and X, PS4, Xbox One, Switch and PC. Then we've got Vampire the Masquerade Blood Hunt. Coming out on PlayStation 5 and PC. Then on the 28th, we've got Bug Snacks. That's coming to Xbox Series S and X, Xbox One and Nintendo Switch. Also on the 28th, we've got Dorfromantic. And then we've got Rogue Legacy 2 on Xbox Series S and X, Xbox One and PC. Then we've got Unsold, Xbox Series S and X, Xbox One, Switch and PC. And then we've got the big one on April the 29th, Nintendo Switch Sports, the hotly anticipated sequel to Wii Sports. Well, that is it for this week's episode and also for the first 100 episodes of the This Week in Video Games podcast. And once again, thank you so much for listening. So I've really, really enjoyed doing the podcast. So I look forward to doing 100 more. So a quick announcement. I am going away on holiday on the 30th of April 2022. I'm actually going to be traveling over to Brazil to go and see my wife's family. So my wife, due to the pandemic, hasn't seen her family in nearly two years. And also, it's the first time that we're getting on a plane in two years. So it's really, really exciting stuff. But that does mean there's going to be no podcast for the next couple of weeks. And the next episode of This Week of Video Games proper is going to be on the 22nd of May 2022. So I hope you have a good time over the next few weeks. I'm definitely going to miss doing the podcast. But I'll be back here once again on the 22nd of May. Well, if you want to get involved in the show and get in contact through patreon.com forward slash This Week in Video Games or check out the latest on the website. Yeah, send in your questions, your comments, your video game stories. I'm always interested in hearing from you. Well, as always, thank you so much for listening. And for more This Week in Video Games content like this, like, subscribe on YouTube and share with a friend. To join our community, check out the Discord link in the description. And you can follow me on Twitter at TWIVG Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast or found it useful, liking and sharing it would really help me out. Otherwise, check out the other podcasts in the feed. Well, thanks again, and I'll see you soon.